0: Okay welcome everyone to episode 15 of the Rust Belt Rundown. I'm your host Paul O'Connor and on this episode we are joined by Allison Grayless, president of the Women in Manufacturing Association and Education Foundation. Um, Allison as a fellow Bobcat myself we always love to welcome Bobcats on the podcast. Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for
1: having me Paul.
0: Um, So we always like to give our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves uh, as if everyone uh, that will listen doesn't know you, doesn't know your story. So tell us a little bit more about you um, and and how you got to where you are.
1: Sure. So um, as was shared, my name is Allison Grayless. I have the great pleasure of currently leading the Women in Manufacturing National Trade Association, as well as our Education Foundation. I've been working in trade association work for now a little more than 20 years, which hugely ages myself. And I really started to work through trade associations, um, having an interest first in working with volunteers. So when I was an undergrad at Ohio University, I was an English pre-law women's studies major, and I loved my academic courses and I loved um, the learning, but I also really loved the organizations that I got involved in. And even at the high school level too, I always liked getting involved with groups, having a mission being mission-oriented and bringing together volunteers for a common cause. So at OU, I was very active in Student Senate and in the women's organization um, and lots of other groups as well as the Women's Panhellenic Association and my sorority. And from there, I really wanted a career doing something that I could work with volunteers, work for a common cause. So I planned originally to go to law school and then I decided um, kind of midway through my senior year that I didn't want to be one of a zillion other people going to law school. And I thought, gosh, maybe I'll do something different for a little while and then reconsider law school at a later date. So I chose to work for a not-for-profit in Boston. Um, It was called PIRG, Public Interest Research Group, and it was a really, probably the best experience I could have had right out of college. So it was working in a grassroots way and doing community organizing around key issues that related to good government and the environment. And I got to actually go back to campus. So I worked at uh, UMass Amherst and Amherst College and got to work with volunteers around Um, areas of interest that students were passionate about and so did that for a year came back to akron ohio which is where i was um, raised my father worked with firestone tire and rubber so we were transplants from upstate new york and while i um, came back got my masters i was looking for my first job out of grad school and found the opportunity to work with the trade association so it was a great alignment of getting to work with um, at the time uh, with the precision metal forming association small to mid-sized privately held companies Business leaders and to represent their interests both in, in government um, as it related to regulations and also as it connected to training and development and education.
0: Wow, um, that was impressive. That that was. I feel like you have said that a couple of times before. That was very impressive.
1: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but it's all very true. And I think what's interesting is that I talked, you know, to people that I mentor and people that I professionally connect with, and. I think none of us, you know, I'm mid 40s, and I think none of my peers, colleagues, probably ever dreamt this career roadmap right to where they are present day. And so, you have lots of kind of opportunities that come your way, or you may find a new interest that lends you to where you end up professionally. But for me, I feel so very blessed because I have lots of friends who are in jobs that they never intended to but to be in, and that unfortunately they don't align with what they're passionate about. I have the great pleasure of working for an organization that completely aligns with my connection to wanting to work on women's issues, to help women be successful leaders, to help us change cultures of companies and to make them more inclusive environments. So for me, it was a great alignment of I love to work with volunteers. I like working with trade associations. And now to get to do it for a mission I'm so very passionate about is really exciting and very fulfilling.
0: I I think that's the important part, right, is if you can identify, like you mentioned, mission driven, that's super important, because I think if you are not, especially early on, you can end up, you know, like you mentioned, you know, far along in your career, and maybe you're not as passionate as you want to be, or, you know, things happen, you move or another opportunity presents itself and, and maybe it's more money. And so you, you take it, whatever the reason is, there's a million of them. Um, but then a year or two, five years go by and you kind of look up like, wait a minute, what am I doing again? Do I love this? Right. And so if you do have a mission, whatever it is, um, you can you can definitely change industries. Your mission can be, you know, throughout multiple industries, but as long as you kind of have that North star, usually you're happier than not um, super important. Um, okay. So you've been involved in numerous associations throughout your career. And, uh, I am actually new, I'm new to the Columbus area. Um, I'm actually, uh, just started in the real estate industry. Um, and so there's a ton of associations there as well. And I think associations can have different meaning based on the industry. So th- really the question is, can you expand on the importance of association work within the manufacturing industry?
1: Yeah, so industry associations, I think, are one of the best investments a company can make, regardless of size. And the reason is that an association is going to bring together people that are like-minded, that have similar processes, similar interests, and they're going to band them together to share resources, to share information, to support one another, to share capabilities. You know, in my nearly 20 years with the Precision Metal Forming Association, I got to see time and time again companies that were sharing business and sharing expertise and helping advance and rise up other companies and to make them better. And so an association is gonna help you make those connections that uh, by yourself, you might not have known who else does the same process or who else complements my business. And then as well, you know, why, why recreate the wheel? So companies can share policies and procedures and you know, share innovative ways that they're manufacturing things. And then another key component obviously to trade associations is often the advocacy So organizations that can represent um, together the interests collectively of a similar group of individuals. So, you know, a trade association really is, I think, one of the best investments a company can make to help advance their businesses, to help them keep them cutting edge, to help be aware and to be knowledgeable about all of the new technologies that their company can impart to make them more profitable and more productive and competitive. And, you know, it's a great way to meet a peer network. So, you know, one of the reasons WIM got started as an organization and a trade association was to make uh, those connections for women in industry. You know, I started my career in my 20s uh, working in trade association um, work and found that I was usually one of just a few women at conferences, one of a few women in boardrooms. And, you know, that that shouldn't have been the case. Um, but what I found is that women were hungry for this network. How do I find other women like me? How do I know that? you know, it isn't just me dealing with some of these issues. I'd love to talk to other women. So we created that trade association for for women specifically for, again, them to share best practices, for them to be a support network for one another, um, and to not feel so alone in industry because, you know, present-day women make up 29% of the manufacturing workforce, about 1.5 million women um, in this space, and there just wasn't a connectivity linkage for them to tap into. And so that's what what really excites us in our current work is seeing our our network grow and be able to provide that association benefit to both individuals and our member companies.
0: You know, it's, uh... It's a little scary because you kind of think of, well, this is only 10 years old. So what were women doing before this? And and the answer was probably nothing, right? There was no opportunity. There was no network like this until you created it. So let's let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, as the founder uh, of the organization, what led you to this? And, and what has the last decade looked like? Because I'm sure it has transformed multiple times.
1: Yeah, yeah it's been a really exciting 10 years to kind of really lead a startup. So the organization first was birthed through some work that we were doing with the Precision Metal Forming Association. We had our first female chairperson for the, the PMA, uh, and she was an excep- ex- exceptional woman who was leading a family-run business out of Mount Kisco, New York, named Gretchen Zurich. And in her chairmanship, and she still has been the only chairperson, female chairperson of the PMA, uh, she said, gosh, I want to connect with other women in metal forming. So we had staff members that were working with her to create some women in metal forming um, opportunities to network and to hold business sessions and and to do some leadership development together. And when we looked to find national resources for for their efforts, we found there wasn't, again, that national resource for women's connectivity in manufacturing. So um, I worked with some volunteer leaders and we created our first ever conference because we thought it was important to, to reach out and find where are these other women in manufacturing? We know they exist. How do we bring them together to collaborate and to connect and to, to help and support one another? So we started with a conference, and uh that was 10 and a half years ago, which is crazy. It's already been 10 and a half years. And what we heard very quickly from our conference attendees, who there were 133 from all over the country from all different roles and responsibilities in manufacturing, they shared, how do I join? You know, this is amazing. They were emotional. They said, I don't feel so alone. You know, I was one of you know, 20 people in my company. And the only female, and I didn't feel like I had a place to turn. So they wanted to join. And so I quickly went back to our headquarters office and created a business plan of, of, of how to structure membership and what would be the benefits and the price point for people to join the association. And we started as an individual based membership. And at the time, you know, gradually, year over year, we would grow the number of individuals. And then we soon added corporate membership. And I'm pleased to report we're almost at 6,300 individual members that we're connected wow. to present day. We now work with close to a thousand unique manufacturing companies of all different sizes and we now have members in 44 states and 11 countries so we have grown rapidly and you know this year has been probably our largest year of growth and i think much of it is based on what's going on in the country what's going on culturally in companies you see record numbers of individuals retiring from manufacturing you see new leadership coming into manufacturing companies many of whom are women and they're, they're revisiting kind of how companies Are structured and kind of where they make investments in their talent and their people development. So we've had a record number of new companies join us this year, a record number of new partners and participants, and all of our programs have exceeded our attendance expectations. So it's been a really good year for us.
0: It's fantastic. Um, you touched on this a little bit, but historically manufacturing has been a male dominated industry and I'm curious in, and again, I'm sure that it's evolved, but what, uh, what does the education process look like for the next generation of women? Um, whether it be with WIM or other organizations similar to you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we firmly believe that marketing around manufacturing is really one of our critical efforts. So we know that there still are are a lot of misconceptions about what modern manufacturing looks like, what facilities look like, what are the jobs and opportunities in manufacturing. So one of our objectives since we first got started was to market what these new opportunities in manufacturing look like. So early on, as we started as an organization, we launched a series called Hear Her Story. And we've now profiled close to 75 unique women. And we've told what a day in the life looks like for them through their own pictures, through their own words, We've shared what what do they do as they report to work each day and what got them excited or how they get interested in manufacturing and what do they like about their job? And no story has been the same and no pathway to their story has been the same. Um, But the goal is is to to inspire future generations or to inform them about, hey, these are the types of opportunities that you could experience if you were to enter manufacturing. I've been blown away in the last 10 and a half years by the amazing opportunities that these women have had to travel across the globe to make and to create new products and services that have helped others live really great lives. And you know those stories we think are so very impactful because you can't be what you can't see. If, if I don't see someone who sounds or seems or, or kind of uh, relates to me, I'm gonna find it really difficult to think that I could have an opportunity or a career or in a, in a successful one in that industry. So we're excited um, that we've been profiling so many women over the course of our, our history as an organization. And then we're really excited as well because come April, we're gonna be launching a Hear Her Story podcast. So I'll be hosting a monthly podcast where we will talk live with women and share their story. We are recording right now our first three sessions with some amazing women who, you know, our goal is to inform our listeners, to educate them, and most importantly, to inspire and entertain them. We want them to to be inspired that you can do it. There are women who have come before you and there's lots of women who wanna support you once you get into manufacturing through mentorship, through coaching, and through just being there as a resource.
0: That's awesome. Um, Man, I I love that you can't be with you can't see I'm going to come back to that in a second. But um, okay, so the marketing aspect is super important for women that may be in another industry or, or maybe coming out of college or whatever. Are you doing anything for even the younger, like, let's say elementary school, middle school, do you have any partnerships there in terms of Hey, because even, I mean, myself, I'm 31 and I have my own preconceived notions about what manufacturing is, what it looks like, like you mentioned, right? Like, I don't know, it's uh, building, it's putting together steel, right? Like all these like old school things that ev- people probably still think actually, and, and that's just not it. And technically manufacturing is everything. Like our iPhones are manufactured, everything is manufacturing. And right. so are there, do you have any initiatives there with, um, I don't, and, and, and pick a grade, it doesn't matter, but maybe some of the, you know, younger demos?
1: Yeah, so, so one of the things is that, you know, very early on as an organization, we launched student membership. It's very low cost. And actually it's transitioning to free membership for students come April 1st of this year, which is the start of our new fiscal year. So we really want to create no barriers for students to connect with us. So as long as you're a school age or, stu- or active student, you can join Women in Manufacturing starting on April 1st at no cost. So they would have access to all of our resources, all of our recorded learning sessions that are part of our virtual learning library, and then as well access to our network. So where they can find a potential mentor or even serve themselves as a reverse mentor for someone where they can make industry and business connections of perhaps where they would want to intern or co-op. So the the goal is to help these women um, and those who are looking for careers to start to make those connections. Um, we have 27 chapters of women in manufacturing throughout the country, plus we have four more coming online in this year, 2021. And our chapters have been our key vehicles for academic outreach to K-12 through institutions, as well as community colleges and higher ed institutions. And, and they've been doing some great programs. They've done interactions and activities with Girl Scouts, local entities. They've done programs that help girls get excited and learn about manufacturing um, they also have been doing some programs as it relates to educating parents about manufacturing. So we know a barrier isn't just some misconceptions around manufacturing, but as well, it's a parent population. And, you know, I'm a parent of two kids. I have an eighth grader and a, a freshman high schooler. And, you know, there's just misconceptions about what manufacturing looks like. And, you know, hey, is my, my child going to, you know, be able to support themselves? Are they going to be able to, to put a house um, you know, or have a house and have a car and have all those things that they need to be independent. And, you know, manufacturing careers can definitely provide that. And so we try to share data on average salaries and kind of, you know, how if you go to a technical school or you learn on the job through a registered apprenticeship program, um, which right now we're partnering with Jobs for the Future to, to help educate companies and individuals about the huge opportunities as it relates to registered apprenticeship programs, you know, you can, you can end um, your, your two or three year learning cycle with no debt. Um, and have the opportunity to be learning on the job and to have salary adjustments and advancements at different milestones within your learning journey. So lots of opportunities. And again, we nationally work on this front, but we also have some amazing volunteer leaders at the chapter level and companies who are helping with direct outreach to community colleges to students through K, to K- through 12 institutions and doing workshops. So lots of great things underway.
0: That's awesome. Um... Okay, so I'm going to come back to the, the statement you said can't be what you can't see. This, this past year has been uh, a year of reckoning for a variety of reasons, which you know, we'll talk about on another podcast. But um, specifically, one of the, if you can look at a silver lining, one of the better things that came out of it is the importance of diversity and inclusion. And you briefly mentioned this earlier as well. But um, are you working on any specific initiatives to get women of color more involved uh, in manufacturing?
1: Yes. So, you know, this year has been, I think, uh, an awakening for many companies that things have to change. Mm-hmm. That maybe they weren't espousing and supporting the right cultures in their organizations. Perhaps they were biased as they were hiring and recruiting and advancing talent in their company. So, we are very committed this year to uh, this year and beyond to work with our member companies and, and really take a stand and help companies be more educated and positioned to be inclusive, to be recruiting and a sound and fair way, and as well to provide support for women who do have a different journey in manufacturing. You know, we think one of the most impactful ways that we can do that is through training and education and sharing best practices. So we have in, imparted now a four-part program, which will be part of our virtual learning series this year. Um, they're called DE&I Immersion Sessions and Roundtables, and they'll be held after um, each, of, each of these four quarterly learning sessions that we do to provide an opportunity for women and leaders to connect, to talk frankly and honestly about the topic that we learned about the day before. So we've got a session on uh, you know critical conversations and crucial conversations, and then we'll have a day debrief the next day to talk about how does that apply to their company? How are conversations held, for example, in your organization? How do you go and report when something is done and it's not kosher, and it's not something that the company says is a pillar and something that they stand for as a belief. So trying to give companies the right resources to turn to um, through our virtual learning, we also have created a task force that is comprised of some of the the largest manufacturing companies uh, in the globe um, to again, figure out how do we share best practices? So to share what's happening and what's successful in one company as it relates to, to training and education and workshops and to pass that along to other companies. We also are doing, for example, an HR roundtable virtually in a couple of weeks to, to start dialogue with those that are responsible for people development and hiring and advancement to talk about um, you know, what practices are in place, how have they changed how they hire in advance um, so that we can share that with other companies. So again, sharing best practices. And I think when we talk about kind of you can't be what you can't see, that storytelling is really, really important. And some of the the comments we've heard over the last year, especially through our task force, is that it's a very different journey as a woman of color or a Black woman in manufacturing than it is for a white woman. So McKinsey puts out annually a women in the workforce report and study. And the numbers were really powerful um, as it relates to not only the impact of COVID on women in the workforce, but the impact of COVID and women's advancement, specifically Black women in manufacturing, over the course of the last 10 years. So our goal is to, to share some of those stories of successful women Um, of color and Black women in manufacturing and how did they navigate their journey? So we've tried to impart content and educational tracks that relate to that storytelling and that best practice sharing for those, those different populations at each of our conferences. So we just had our Wim West conference a week ago and we had, for example, an outstanding speaker, Sandra McNeil from Amazon, who had a very long career in automotive prior to going to Amazon. And she shared her experiences open and honestly as what it was, to be a Black woman in manufacturing and an engineer and, um, you know, how she combated some difficult challenges along her journey. And again, the goal is to impart knowledge and support for those future generations that come through so that they can be more successful, so that they don't have to relive other things Sandra relived and that they don't have to go through some of those same um, not too pleasant experiences as they try to advance in their career. Yep, yep. Absolutely.
0: Um, with March being Women's History Month, what type of initiatives or even celebrations are you having as an association?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we try to celebrate women. Obviously, we're committed to celebrating women year round, and we're passionate about it. But Women's History Month is an, an opportunity for us to, to further illuminate the stories of our members. So we have, um, have, we are holding a special program at the end of the month, a community chat, So we launched community chats at the beginning of the pandemic to keep members connected and to feel supported throughout a really difficult time for all of us, both personally and professionally. And they were, you know, a great vehicle for us to get members from all over the country and globe to to chat, to talk, to to problem solve. And so we're launching a special community chat on the 31st. It's uh, complimentary to attend. It's from noon to one. And the goal is to do um, quick, almost minute mentoring where we'll be throwing women together to make quick connections, to share some words of wisdom and support, and just to celebrate each other. So that's kind of how we're wrapping up the month. And then throughout the course of the month, we've as well have gone back and reshared our Hear Her Story series so that we can reintroduce some of those stories that could have been missed of, again, these women who have made outstanding accomplishments um, and also made great contributions to the industry throughout this month. So those are some of the things that we've done this month and again we we celebrate women and try to support them of course in a successful way year round
0: it's awesome that's great sounds like a great event to uh to end the month though that's fantastic i like the idea of like minute mentoring quick connections and then let people you know build it from there i like that um okay so switching gears a little bit so back in 2016 you decided to add the Education Foundation as an additional arm to the association. What was, you know, the, the motivating factor for that decision? And then how has that changed or helped, um, you know, members across the country?
1: Yeah, so we launched the Education Foundation specifically because we wanted to be able to provide affordable education and training to, to women of all different um, walks of life, as well as from all different sizes of companies. So we know that lots of big companies have very large resources and budgets often that can support training and education of their employees um, for a variety of different programs and certificates and, and master's in, and advanced education. Um, but we know there's lots of companies that can't afford to send women to typically expensive programs and educational opportunities. So the goal was to launch the foundation to provide people scholarships, and to provide um, them the right resources and affordable resources to advance their training and development so the, the first year that we got started um, we had a very generous gift from the GE Appliance Foundation and they gave us money as we started our leadership lab for women in manufacturing it was the first of its kind in the country we partnered with Case Western Reserve University here in Cleveland and we had our first class or cohort of 20 women graduate from that program in 2016 and so it was An amazing experience to launch our first formal leadership program, and since then, the foundation has now grown to offer four leadership programs. We have one for early career called our Management Development Program. We have our Leadership Lab, which has been renamed Leadership Institute for Women in STEM and Manufacturing, and that's underway right now and we have our our largest class to date. And then we have two new programs. Uh, The first one is our Leadership Consortium that goes live in May, And that is our first uh, co-gender class where we have men and women participating in learning about uh, lots of these topics that we've talked about as they relate to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then um, the, the newest in the fall that we'll launch is our Empowering Women in Production program. So we know women at the hourly ranks and women in production and in facilities are often most limited to have access to training and education. They often can't travel or don't have the ability to go off site for training. So we're bringing training to manufacturing companies. That's so the program was designed in a virtual format and to be delivered locally well before the pandemic. So it just so happens that the delivery mechanism works and especially now given the conditions that we are currently living in. So this program goes live in September on the 17th and we believe we'll have more than hundred women in our first cohort. And these are women who, again, the goal is to get them to that first line of leadership. So to help them have um, you know, training, education, support and guidance there's parts and components of coaching and mentoring that are part of the program as well um to help build that confidence for them to 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 want to apply and to be ready to apply for that first promotion
0: awesome that's great um so you mentioned that you know it's been 10 years uh which i'm sure has flown by but what uh what are some of the major goals or milestones that uh you know as you look forward to the next decade that you're looking to achieve
1: yeah, so so we've started to do our, our kind of well. We've always had a, a sight line of where we wanted to go, and as an organization, you know, our staff has grown, our, our membership has grown. You know, we've had great opportunities to have some amazing visionaries on our board of directors who have helped us with direction and looking at kind of where do you want to be when we grow up. So I, I think that you know, in the next ten years, we hope to be a larger organization with more members. We hope to you know more than triple in size. We hope to ho- we hope to host chapters throughout the globe. So right now our chapters are restrained and only in the United States. We hope this year to launch um, expansion into North America with a Canadian and potential uh, uh, WIM Mexico chapter. Um, but we hope to be international. We, we've already been invited to participate in international conferences and share our expertise in what we're doing here in the US. But we'd love to have a, a global presence with chapters um, in lots of different country, countries that have a strong manufacturing presence. And then of course, you know our biggest priority is to expand resources. So how do we expand and continue to grow new resources for individuals and companies as they're looking either themselves personally to advance and to develop professionally um, or to have the right resources for companies to plug into that help them as they're building and developing their talent?
0: Awesome. Um, Okay, last question, and then we'll get you out of here on a fun one. But uh, you're a board (laughs) member at the Skilled Trades Coalition. Can you just tell us more about uh, the work being done there and, and expand on the organization itself?
1: Yeah, so the coalition was formed in 2019 and it was formed because we had many industry manufacturing leaders that we would see each other at conferences, we would connect through um, you know, other industry-related groups, and we all had the same common challenges. We had member companies that were struggling with how to attract and retain and develop their talent. So we decided to create the Skilled Trades Coalition. It was actually led the creation by the Society of Manufacturing Engineers and the association of um, that, the welding organization, AWS. And they created this coalition to bring together like-minded industry association leaders to share best practices, to share what were their organizations doing to support their members as they were working to recruit and retain talent and to, to develop a skilled workforce. So the coalition has met um, over the course of the last few years, we share sample campaigns that we're running. Um, initiatives, and again, it's it's trying not to recreate the wheel, but rather to collaborate on a big challenge. I mean, there's 515,000 open jobs presently as we sit here today, having our conversation. How do we help companies fill those 515,000 15,000 positions? And um, you know, we as associations have that role and responsibility to help our companies be successful in doing so. So the goal is to collaborate. Um, it's been really useful to share best practices with other trade associations that are like-minded, and we'll continue to meet um, to again share and support one another.
0: Awesome, that's great. Um, okay, easy one, easy one to uh, to end. Some sometimes it's the hardest one, but uh, want to <laughs> give want to give you a chance to talk about your favorite place to eat around town. So first, uh, favorite spot in Athens. Um, it's okay if it's a bar, cause that's always my favorite spot, uh, and, and, uh, favorite spot in Cleveland as well.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I had, I, I had trouble picking just one place in Athens because <laughs> I, I had an amazing experience there for my four years. I was, I was happy to, to leave in four years, um, and not to be extended like many of my friends who had too much fun along the way. Yep. And, um, I would say my favorite restaurant was Soufflaki's. So my senior year, I lived at the top of Main Street, or not Main Street, Mill Street, oh, no. um, right across from the A.E. Pie House, which I think is now um, not on campus anymore, and and next to the Hillel Center. And it was my late late night stopping ground um, was Soufflaki's. And I liked their Cajun fries, and their burgers were amazing. And my secondary, of course, is Casa Nueva, which I loved. And I had friends who worked there. And then um, I also had uh, my one of my roommates for most of my College career worked at Bagel Street Deli. So, those would probably be my top three yep. um, restaurants in, Ath- in Athens. And of course, I love the burrito buggy and lots of the bars and rest- other bars and places too. But I would say, Sue is probably my go to.
0: That's a good list. And
1: um, very fond memories of eating there. And then for Cleveland, you know, I, I, I think I've always liked Mediterranean food. I guess that was kind of my Athens go to and as well my current. So, I live in Avon Lake, Ohio, and we have an amazing family-run business called Taki's Greek Kitchen, and they have phenomenal food. Um, their fresh fish is to die for, and uh, that is my go-to presently in Cleveland that I love a lot.
0: Nice. Okay. Well, we haven't, uh, we haven't had any uh, doubles in terms of Cleveland recommendations, so that's great. You guys got a good restaurant scene. Um, okay, uh, last thing, and then get you out of here. Where can everybody find you, learn more about you, social, website, all that stuff?
1: Yeah, so I am on Twitter and Instagram at Allison in Grayless, and our website that has all the inf- all and more information um, on any of the program services and member benefits that I talked about could be found at womeninmanufacturing.org.
0: Awesome. Well, Allison, thank you again for coming on. We really do appreciate it, and uh, best of luck with everything you got going on this year, and we'll talk with you soon.
1: Great. Thank you, Paul.
0: Bye. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.